Last weekend, we kicked off a brand new series called Poker Face. Do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. And the premise or the presupposition of this series is that Christ followers, those people who have definitively, personally responded to Christ's grace initiative and said, I will follow Jesus. Christians are supposed to live life with a type of poker face. Now, we're not talking about some kind of stoic, stone-faced poker face, but rather a constant expression of integrity, that, that our walk should match our talk. And, and we kind of established a baseline that when you think about the word integrity, we want you to think about the word wholehearted, that, that a life of integrity, specifically a life of Jesus' integrity, is wholehearted following of Jesus, that, that Everything that we're about in every part of our lives is surrendered to him, is submitted to him, and therefore looks like it, that, that our lives reflect what we say we believe. And we started last week by kind of establishing this thread of integrity, but today, as we continue the series, I want us, I want us to, kind of, to kind of pull that thread a little bit. I, I want us to, to pull that thread and see what it looks like when we actually live out our faith, when our lives are actually wholehearted. Andy Andrews is a uh, best-selling author and, and a speaker, and he's actually spoken here a, a few times, and we've gotten to be friends with him and his family over the last few years. And Andy, Andy says that in order for us to change something in our lives, two things have to happen. Number one, if we're going to change something, we have to be shown evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. We, we've got to see evidence that this change will actually be worthwhile. And then the second thing that has to happen for us to change anything in our lives over time consistently is that we have to be shown what's in it for us. What's in it for me? Why should I go to the trouble of making this change, of changing the way I talk, changing the way I walk, changing the way I interact with people, I've got to see that there's something in it for me if I'm actually going to adopt this particular change, whatever it might be. And I think that last week, we, we kind of established the first part of that requirement for change when we said, you know, there's, there's significant evidence that integrity is a good idea. That it's not just a moral imperative, but that it's actually something that we benefit from. We, we talked about the fact that when we live lives wholeheartedly, then our lives are marked by truth. And truth and honesty helps to kind of simplify a very, very complicated world. We talked about the fact that integrity actually enhances connection and, and relationships that we're all hardwired for. We all have a, a need to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. It's part of what it means to be a human being. And that need is actually fed and fueled by integrity. And then, and then third, we said that integrity is one of those things that it will create honesty, it'll create connection, but it also contributes to progress. That, that we actually have the opportunity to grow in truth and in connection and, and expand and get better, that we don't live with a fixed mindset, but we live with a, a growth mindset. And, and all of those things are there and they're evidence beyond a reasonable doubt why integrity is a good idea. But, but today, I, I want us to, to pull that thread a little bit further and go, well, what's in it for me? 
And, and, and I want you to know that it's okay to ask that question because God has said unequivocally and with no compromise that when we live wholeheartedly, when, when we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, when we submit all of our ways to him, then there will be some very, very real benefits and blessings that we get to experience and we get to express. And, and that's what I want to get into today. Not that the, the blessings and the benefits are the only reason we do these things, but I think it's important for us to acknowledge that because if all we do is look at the obligation of integrity, then after a while, that, that kind of starts to run a little dry. How many of you, let me ask you a question. How many of you are list makers? You, you like to make lists in your life. And how many of you, if you're a list maker, how many of you like put things on the list that you've already done so that you can cross it off? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that, that's cool. That's, that's awesome. That's great. Well, a lot of us tend toward lists because we, we can digest a list. We can, we can process a list. We can cross things off of a list. But if we live our lives by the list, by the rules and the regulations, then, then we start to, to miss some of the life we were created for because ultimately life is not about the list. Life is about the relationships. Life is about the fuel and the life that is truly life, the Bible says. So today what we're going to get at is kind of the, the, the payoff and why we do that. It's not just the obligation of integrity. Today we're going to look at the compensation, that, that the payoff for integrity. And to get at that, we're going to go to Philippians chapter number four. If you've got your Bible, look there. Maybe it's on your phone. Philippians chapter four. And as you're looking up Philippians four in the New Testament, let me remind you, we go to the Bible not out of rote habit. We don't go to the Bible just because we're in church. We go to the Bible because it is the Word of God. It is the Word of God that God supernaturally communicated, yes, to human authors who wrote it down, but in that supernatural communication, he supernaturally protected the translation of it so that you and I could have a document, or actually a, a whole volume of documents that we could trust, that is reliable, that we can count on, and, and we can know that because it comes from God, through human beings for sure, but originating with God, we can know that this is how things work. This is how God wired up the world. This is how life works best. And so we, we believe the Bible. We rely on the Bible. We trust the Bible. And Philippians chapter 4 is a fascinating passage. The Apostle Paul, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul is writing to this, to this fledgling congregation in the Greek city of Philippi. Now, Philippi was a strategic outpost for the faith. Philippi was a fascinating city. Philippi was originally founded because of the gold mines close by there. And it became a center for trade, and it later became a strategic point on the map because if you controlled Philippi, then you controlled roadways leading to and from these gold mines. And so when Paul established the church at Philippi, it wasn't just because there were some people there that liked him. It was because Philippi was a strategic, strategic place. The Christian faith had begun, obviously, right around Jerusalem and in Palestine, Galilee, where Jesus lived and his apostles all worked most of their lives. 
But it was the Apostle Paul who, who took the gospel, the good news of Jesus, from that very, very beginning there in Palestine and began to branch out away from and radiating out of its Jewish beginnings going into the Gentile world, going into the world. And Philippi, most scholars believe Philippi was the first church established in Europe. It was the first church established on the way to Rome and then spreading out into northwestern Europe. Philippi was kind of the beginning of the beginning of the church reaching a Gentile audience. And Paul is writing to this fledgling congregation trying to explain to them, and by extension explaining to you and me, how the Christian faith plays out, how what we believe really and truly looks like day in and day out. It, it's not enough just to, just to know some cool facts and to, to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, that is central. But then what does that look like? What does that mean as we go through this? And look at what he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Always, say always. Always. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say it, rejoice. I want you right now, y'all are, are the 1130 crowd. You've been up for a while. You've been properly caffeinated because that's how the Lord wants us to begin our days. I want you to look at your neighbor and with passion and Sunday morning enthusiasm, tell them, get your rejoice on. Now, it's imperative that we understand that. Remember, we, we started this conversation talking about integrity. And, and the one word definition we said was, was wholeheartedness. To live wholeheartedly is to live a life of integrity. But remember, we also talked last week about Dr. Henry Cloud, clinical psychologist's definition of integrity, that integrity is the courage to face reality. Integrity is the courage to face reality. Whatever reality is, good, bad, or ugly, that's, that's courageous to be able to face it and adapt to it and process it and manage it and live in what's real in this world. And here in Philippians chapter 4, Paul, like I said, pulls that thread a little bit and says, in order to have that kind of courage, you need to be joyful, full of joy always in the Lord. Rejoice. Again, I say it. So what does it look like what is this, this joy thing? Because you and I live in a world that is absolutely obsessed with, with happiness. Happiness. Read the list of bestsellers, The Happiness Project, Happiness This, Happiness That, TED Talks about happiness, Pharrell, happy, 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 happy. I'm going to be happy, happy, happy. Happy. Listen, if you can wear a hat like Pharrell wears, you ought to be happy. I mean, that, that's just a cool lid. And if it sounds like I'm jealous, it's because I am. But happy is cool as far as it goes. But happy, don't feed the bulldog. You need to write that down. Happy, don't feed the bulldog. Because happy, and specifically happiness, depends on what happens. Joy transcends everything. Every circumstance, every situation, you can absolutely be joyful and be unhappy. Now, I'm not 
making this up or it's not because I just read it in some book or they taught it in seminary. I know this to be true. Happy. Happy is when you wake up in the morning and, and that, that, first, that first drop of coffee hits, hits your tongue and, and your senses become alive and you, you wake up to the day and, and it's like the neurons begin to fire because the caffeine that God has so graciously given to you is working. That's happy. But I have to confess to you this morning, before I got to my coffee happy, I woke up unhappy. I woke up unhappy this morning. I woke up unhappy because my bride, Julie, is out of town. And so I went to bed last night unhappy. I woke up this morning unhappy. I mean, I, I do not like it when Julie's gone. She's, she's coming back. Don't worry. I don't have an announcement or anything this morning. But <laughs> she's, she's traveling with her, with her mom and her sisters. Her mom turns 70 this year, and so they're taking a girl's trip. And I'm excited for her, and, and I'm joyful that she's getting to do it. But I'm unhappy because what happened was she left. But joy, joy transcends the circumstances. Joy, no matter what happens, joy is possible. But, but it's imperative that we, that we really drill down into this verse here in Philippians chapter 4. He says, always, say always. always. Any questions? Is there any part of your life that that doesn't cover? Always. No matter what, be joyful in the Lord. First thing that we've got to understand about this is the sentence structure here is critical. Critical. Always be joyful. That, that is a command statement. In the original language, it's, if, if you're an English major like my mom was, you're, it's in the imperative form. The verb is imperative. Be joyful. Be joyful. And when the Bible gives us an imperative or a command, the presupposition is that we have the power within reach to respond to that command, that, that we can actually do what it's telling us to do, as opposed to like if somebody said, Mac, be a great jumper in basketball. Well, I mean... I'm quick as a cat, but I'm not a great jumper. I, I, I don't have mad hops, okay? That's just not my bag. I mean, I could shoot the lights out. I could play defense against anybody. But jump high, like you could usually get about two sheets of loose leaf paper between my shoes and the floor. <laughs> I tried hard, but I, I, don't, I don't have mad ups. I just don't. Sorry. But if somebody says, be joyful in the Lord, that, that command is within reach. Because of the second thing that we've got to understand. It says, be joyful in the Lord. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, 
Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, King of kings and Lord of lords, died on the cross and he rose again. And because he rose again, we know that nothing happens outside of his power, authority, scope, or reach. Therefore, within any circumstance, I can be joyful. Anytime I choose to be joyful. If integrity is the courage to face reality, joy is the choice to enjoy reality. Joy is the choice to enjoy reality. Now, some of you are thinking, Mac, you don't know my reality, bro. Come on. Listen, that may be true. But I do know the God who is bigger and more powerful than our reality. I do know the God who can work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. Again, that pretty much covers it. There is nothing that God can't use for his glory and our good in our lives. And so because of that, even if the circumstances become horrible, Terrible. My wife is in California today. That's a very bad day when I'm in Texas. Even within that, I can be joyful because I know that Jesus is still Jesus. God is still God, and he's still on the throne. Always be joyful in all things. Always be joyful. But there's another another payoff to integrity, another one besides the joy. Verse 6 in Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6, check this out. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Don't worry about anything. Now, Paul is sitting here telling this fledgling church in Philippi, as well as this church here in Austin, 2,000 years later, choose joy. Always be joyful. And then he says, don't worry about anything. Now, it would be easy, if you don't know the context of this letter to the church at Philippi, to to write this off as kind of the pie in the sky, Pollyanna ramblings of a guy who just didn't understand real life. But if that's what you think, then you don't understand Paul. Because Paul is writing this passage to the church in Philippi while he's in prison. He's writing from a Roman jail cell, anticipating and waiting for his execution because of his faith in ministry. And it's from that posture that he says, in all things, be joyful. Don't worry about anything. Now, I would love, I mean love, to tell you that since I became a Christian when I accepted Jesus in the second grade, And after attending seminary for three and a half, four years, I have never, ever worried about anything. My faith is so strong, that's just not my problem. (laughs) But that would be a lie. I, I will tell you in complete candor that the single greatest spiritual struggle of my life is worrying about anything, is Anxiety, stress, worry, fear. I get it. 
Now, that's not to say that I'm above any of the other spiritual struggles. It's just that those are another sermon. This is number one. On my spiritual hit list, the thing that I have to guard my heart against, the thing that I have to remain on watch and vigilant about is anxiety. It's worry. And it's not something that I'm proud of, but I think I owe it to you to tell you you're not alone if that's you. This is, this is my reality. And Paul says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything, but instead, pray about everything. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you are thinking, well, you know, he's the preacher. He's got to tell us to pray. And, I, and I, listen, I get it. I think prayer is one of those things that is so simple that we hydroplane past it at our own peril. It's simple, but it's not easy. I mean, it's, it's hard work to dig in relationally with God. It's, it's hard work to make it happen on a consistent basis, to set aside time every single day just to pray to tell God, thank you for what you've done. Here's what I'm worried about. I'm going to release it to you. And then also to, to listen, to receive as he prompts certain things in our spirit, as he points out things that need to change or attitudes that need to be adjusted or relationships that need to be reconciled. As we do that, it's, it's hard work. But man, the payoff, the payoff, when we, when we actually set aside the time and we, we quit checking Facebook, we quit posting to Instagram, and we just, we just go to God and just, just say, God, I'm anxious. And, and I think a lot of times we would rather take a pill or sip something to take the edge off instead of just going to God, instead of just digging in. Now, it's very important that you understand, sometimes we need help managing anxiety. Sometimes we need a Christian counselor who can prescribe certain things to kind of arrest some trends and to move away. But, but it's never, ever God's will for a pill to replace God. It's never God's will for, for any outside agent to be the thing that we go to looking for comfort or looking for peace or looking for joy. He says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Go to God. Dig in in that relationship with him. Tim Keller is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, Manhattan. And in my opinion, Tim is, is one of the greatest resources that we have on the planet today for spiritual teaching and truth and writing. If you're not a Christ follower, you ought to pick up his book, Reason for God. It's an incredible, incredible explanation of the Christian faith. Um, if you are a Christian, I would recommend that you read his book, The Prodigal God. It's a phenomenal brief study of Jesus's parable, The Prodigal Son, that will absolutely radically transform the way you look at your relationship with God. Tim Keller and his wife, Kathy, moved to New York City, Manhattan, in 19, 
82 to plant Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And as a result of that, they were there at 9-11. They were there when the towers came crashing down. And Keller has been very candid in admitting that in the months that followed 9-11, he experienced a very real depression. He, he, was, he was personally very deeply affected by what his city and his congregation was going through. And, and he said that the key to coming out of that depression was not something that he read or a sermon that he preached or something he remembered from seminary. It was a conversation he had with his wife. And, and his wife, Kathy, said, you know, it's funny, Tim, if the doctor told us that we have to take a pill at 11 o'clock every night in order to stay alive, that if we miss one night of taking this medication at 11 p.m., we would die. I don't think we would miss that medication. I don't think there would ever come a night where we went, oh, we forgot to take the medication because Jimmy Fallon was just so funny. <laughs> no, you wouldn't miss it. And she said to her husband, Tim, prayer is our pill. Prayer, we need or we'll die. Keller was deep into his 50s when this conversation happened. Had been a pastor for over a decade. And he said it was like being hit with a two-by-four. And he realized he, he hadn't been praying about everything. Prayer is the honest communication to and from God with people. That's what prayer is. And prayer is life for the Christ follower. We must be people of prayer, not because it's an obligation, but because we need it. Now, look at verse 7 in Philippians chapter 4. Check this out. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Verse 7. Then, say then. Then. Then you will experience God's peace. His peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. His peace exceeds anything we can understand. If joy is the choice to enjoy reality, peace is the comfort to handle reality. Peace is the comfort of God that exceeds anything we can understand to actually take reality, to be able to handle it. So when we wake up on a Sunday morning and 50 people have been gunned down in Orlando, another 53 are wounded, and we, we question the fabric of our communities. We, we question the validity of our faith. We, we question, we question, we question. We come back to the comfort of our God. The comfort and the peace which exceeds anything we can understand. The peace that comes from from praying to him and 
telling him, this is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm stressed about. This is what I, I question or I wonder. But I'll take your comfort. I'll, I'll take your presence in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the hurt and the pain and the loss. I'll take that because I know that it's real and I know that you're real. And, and I think this is a, a critical place to understand that what we believe really matters. It, it really matters because when, when you think about integrity and joy and peace, you, you begin to understand that what we believe about God actually matters. Remember that integrity, we said, was the courage to face reality. And we have the courage to face reality from the Holy Spirit of God. The, the Holy Spirit gives us the courage to face reality. Jesus said when he left earth that he would give us a helper and a, a counselor. And it's our helper and counselor, the Holy Spirit, who encourages us. We, we, we said that, that joy, joy is the choice to enjoy reality regardless of the circumstances and whether the, joy, the reality is good, bad, or ugly, we'll enjoy it because it's going to draw us closer to God. And that happens because of God the Son. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again we have victory in Jesus. And so because of that victory in Jesus, we can have joy. And because of the, the peace of God, the, the peace of God, the, the peace that is that comfort that allows us to handle reality, that, that, comes, that comes from the Father. The Father who, who comforts us who will never leave us nor abandon us. One of my most vivid memories as a dad was just a few years after we had moved to Austin, Emily and Joseph were still very young, and one night Emily woke up screaming with a night terror. She'd had a nightmare of some sort, and, and it, their rooms were downstairs. Julie's in my room is up, was upstairs in that house at the time, and, and Emily, God bless her, she was born with a set of pipes. I mean, she, she volume, baby. And so when she woke up screaming, our neighbors knew about it. And as a dad, I, I didn't know what was going on. I just heard screaming. I didn't know if, if somebody had gotten in the house. I, I didn't know what. And I was downstairs in about four steps. And I went into the room, and, and it was just Emily, and, and I could tell that she'd had a nightmare, and, and I... And I climbed up into bed with her, and I, and I just held her really, really close. I said, Emily, 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 it's Daddy. It's Daddy. You're okay. You're okay. What's up? What's wrong? Just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. <laughs> I didn't hear. You know that kind of sobbing where you can't talk, can't catch your breath? Now, over the years, our kids were injured numerous times, Joseph especially. Broken bones, stitches, ingesting medications that he shouldn't have gotten a hold of, all, all kinds of good stuff. But all of those things, to me, pale in comparison to when my kids are afraid. 
I'll move heaven and earth. I don't care what it takes to let them know that they're safe again. And so when Emily woke up screaming in the middle of the night, it went all through me. But it was so unbelievable to get to be the one who got to comfort her, who got to, to be right there and hold her and tell her it was going to be okay. I had to tell Julie about the whole thing the next morning. She sleeps like I can't even tell you. It's a clean conscience. That's why she can do that. But when you understand that Jesus died on the cross for us to know this joy, this peace that comes from trusting him fully and completely, you begin to understand that the choices we make, our poker face, our integrity, our wholeheartedness really matters. It's no longer just a buzzword and a sermon on a Sunday morning, but it matters Thursday afternoon with an unreasonable manager. It matters Tuesday night with an unreasonable toddler. It matters at every step along the way. You see, this relationship with Jesus, this joy and peace we were created for, this wholehearted living, matters all the time. And when we understand the motivation behind it, that it's not just so we get a good grade on our spiritual report card, but that it's because God wants us to experience the life he created us to live. Then I think it, we're armed with the ammunition we need. We're, we're, we're given the motivation to say, hey, there really is evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, and there really is something in it for me, for me to not cut corners ethically and morally, for me to live wholeheartedly, for me to pray on a regular basis for me to not just show up at church unless I get a better offer, but to actually be the church Monday through Saturday. Those things matter because Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. This is who he is and it's what he does. It's who he is and it's what he does. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And if you're here today and you've never stepped into relationship with that Jesus, maybe you've kept him at arm's length for, for whatever reason it might be, or maybe, maybe you've never understood that it was about a relationship. You just thought it was religion. Then we want to give you the opportunity right now to step into that relationship, to just pray right where you're beginning, a prayer right where you're sitting, a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment, a prayer that says, I will live wholeheartedly with Jesus, for Jesus, from this moment forward. If that's you, then just, I want to just invite you in this moment to pray, just that prayer of beginning, silently. Just, just talk to God right where you're sitting. Just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. And 
I claim your forgiveness. I give you my life. Holding nothing back. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. And I give you my life. we remain with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment more I want to remind you we bow our heads out of reverence out of awe for the fact that God moves in people's lives that he moves in our lives for the fact that he's here with us right now and if you just prayed that prayer to step into that relationship with Christ then I want to invite you I want to just make sure that you understand we as a church want to help in any way that we can. We want to help you take the next step in this relationship. And so two things. Number one, before you leave today, I want to ask you if you would, so that we can help you, just fill out the info card that's in the program you got when you came in. Just fill it out and indicate there, I'm committing my life to Christ. You can tear it off at the perforation, and before you leave, just make the time for a brief personal connection and just hand that card to, to one of our ushers. They wear the you know, really cool blue LHC shirts. Or you can drop it at the, the blue canopy out underneath the front porch that you walked in when you came in. And what that does is it gives us a way to help. Maybe you've got a prayer request as a church. We want to be that, that outpost of help, that family of faith that comes alongside in whatever way we can. But number two, if you just prayed to receive Christ, I want you to know that that is a once and for all prayer. You, you don't have to pray it again to make sure that it took or to make sure that you got God's attention. If you meant it, then God heard it. And it's a once and for all sealing of faith. And so it's once and for all. And so I want to ask you, if that was your prayers, our heads are bowed, if you would just raise your hand and hold it up high for a moment. And as you do that, you stamp this moment in your life, that, that physical Statement. It says, this is real and this happened. And then at the same time that you stamp it in your life, you stamp it in the life of this church. Because there is nothing more important to us than this moment. Whether it happens here in our service or on an Alabama beach or in VBS this coming week, this is why we exist. And so as a church, as a family of faith, we honor that. And, and our family tradition is, as you put your hands down, we put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.